Amen. Wow. Well, it was an awesome service so far. And uh, I think it just, you know, I, I watched, uh, that app is a really a good thing. We, I watched it, Connie and I did last two weeks while we were on vacation. We are, I was telling some people, we're probably the most boring people in the whole world when it comes to vacation. Our idea of a big time is to suck coffee and watch the ocean. So, uh, you know, the, the hardest decision that we had to make all week was, uh, are we going to eat in or eat out? And if so, where are we going? So, you know, that's my, that's our idea of vacation. Read the Bible, read a book and, and just chill. Um, I watched the, uh, I watched the services on the, on the app and uh, actually I watched it on YouTube on the TV and, uh, it was, you know, it's, it is not the same thing as being here. It's good, but the presence of God, you know, is, is a totally different thing. I'm excited about the fact that school starts tomorrow for a lot of people. That means that all the vacations will be over. <laughs> people will be back to church on Sunday. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's an exciting time of the year. The Master's Commission, they're going to start back up, or we're going to be changing the name slightly to the Master's Program. But uh, as, uh, I don't know, it, it's... I looked at uh, a post that a young man who goes to our Master's Commission program wrote. I won't say who, but it was very in-depth and revealing. And, uh, you know, you know what's awesome is that you look at some of these people who have been through this program. We've been doing this now, coming up on our, what, 16th year this year? 17th? Um, long time. And you look at some of the, the maturity and, and the growth that some of the, these young people have had, even from one year to the next. They come in, you know, uh, in the beginning of the first year, and by the time if they stay through three years, you see such a dramatic difference in them, particularly if they come here for three years. And it's, uh, uh, they're finding their identity. They're finding out who they are. Uh, and, and that is the process. I think, I think we're all in, in that boat. And I want to talk to you this morning uh, about our identity. I want to talk about what our identity is in, in Jesus Christ. Um, has anyone here ever had their identity stolen? You have. Yeah. How was that? Not good, right? Have your identity stolen. Put that picture up for me, would you, Brandon? You know... Um, that, that's an identity thief. We were, in the, we were at the beach, and uh, we were in about three feet of water, and there were sharks in that water. And there, was, well, there had been dolphins nearby, and we didn't think of it. Now, suddenly, I look out there, and I see a fin. I said, that's no dolphin. That's a shark, you know. Uh, but, but that goldfish is trying to steal that shark's identity. Um, I read yesterday... That um, uh, it was, I think it was in Fox. It was also on the front page of the Drudge Report. I don't know, maybe some of you saw that. That uh, one of our astronauts uh, was—it's the first space crime. Did you know you can have crime in space? She was stole her spouse's identity by accessing her spouse as a woman or her ex-spouse. So, so you know, far be it from me to say anything, but you know I will. But. When the first seven, we had seven astronauts originally, you know what their title was? The Right Stuff. Remember? John Glenn, Buzz, you know, Armstrong and all these guys. And so now the right stuff is a lesbian woman in, in space. But be that as it may, she stole her partner's 
identity by accessing her account and using her credentials and her name and ID and everything else. So, so now, so uh, she's she's been accused of identity theft, and uh, she had it stolen from space. You know, um, I know that, that you've probably heard the joke. You know, if somebody stole their stole their our identity, her identity, and uh, they gave it back and said, it sucks to be you. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it bothers me. I read this. It bothers me that someone might steal my identity and use it to make thousands of dollars behind my back. You know why it bothers me? Because I have, I have my identity and I still haven't figured out how to do it. Okay. But anyway, so identity theft is not a joke. Um, as Pam knows, it's, it's a real tough process to get it taken care of and it's a serious issue but I want to answer uh, the question today Uh, really it boils down to it used to be the age-old question is you know why am I here where am I going but always one of the questions was who am I who am I as I said are are young people finding that out as they proceed down down life but the question is who am I and and I would like where are are the ushers back are you guys back in there yet or no there's there's still milling in the hall. So as soon as I see them, I'm going to have them hand you something in, in just a minute. But so the question of really about who am I comes first of all to the idea that where do we get our identity? Where do we get our identity? Um, we grow up in a home. We get a name from a, from a parent's we get a, a legacy and a history. That's part of who we are. That's our environment. That's our culture. That's, that's about who we are. Um, when two, two men meet for the very first time, what is always the first question that one of them asks the other one? Huh? What do you do? See, for men, unfortunately, a lot of us, uh, have found that our identity is in our career. It's in our job. It's what defines us. So when one man meets the other guy, uh, and the re- first thing they do is they ask each other is, well, what do you do? And you know why they're doing that? You're establishing a, a, a pecking order. Well, I'm the CEO and you work on the factory floor. Or when do two pastors meet each other, what they always, they say, well, where do you pastor? But you know what really the first thing in their mind is? How big is your church? Okay, because that is, it's established a value. They're handing you out right now a, a little uh, name label, okay? It says, hello, my name is, do not write your name on this label yet, okay? Till I tell you what to do with it, okay? So just hold it for me, okay? Um, so when two women meet each other for the first time, do you know what their typical response to each other is when the question is? How many children do you have? How many grandchildren do you have? Okay, Because family, for, most, for a lot of women, define them. Now, we have a whole other generation, these, these people called millennials, and, and they go against the grain on everything, and they have careers. And I'm not, I'm not negating that, but, but women typically find their, have found their identity in their family. And uh, uh, that used to be you know, fairly true across the, across the way. And today, I'm going to talk about our identity and where we get our identity and answer the question of who we are. But when I do this, I want you to understand something. Uh, I am not going to be politically correct. 
Surprise, right? Uh, so when I, there's no gender issues. First of all, can I tell you there's no gender in Christ? There's no male or female in Christ Jesus. Is that right? Okay. So, so when I talk about being a son, I'm talking about being a daughter too, okay? So I'm just going to use one, pro, you know, one pronoun, one gender as, as my, my whole thing. So I'm talking about uh, men of God, or sons of God, or whatever. I'm including daughters in that. So will you forgive me, ladies, okay, today? So um, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us, plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals, all of the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So get this, and the very first thing, we were created in the image of God. Now, that means God is our father, right? So I said you get identity from your parents, from your culture, from your environment, and we were given dominion and authority, and the very first, the first thing out of God's mouth was, I'm going to make man in my image, and woman, we're going to make man in my image, and they're going to have authority. Pretty awesome. Okay. So, and, um, and everything was great for a while. And you know the story. And um, God said, everything is here for you. You have dominion and authority over all of it. You can eat everything. Just don't eat from that tree over there of the knowledge of good and evil. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. One day... A snake showed up in the garden, and it says he was the most cunning. And the word cunning there means deceptive. Of all the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat of that tree? You can have all the other, but you can't have that. Did God really, really, really say that? The word of the Lord to, to Adam and Eve was, you can have all of it, but you can't eat that one. And the first thing out of Satan's mouth is deception. And he's trying to sow a seed of doubt into mankind and by the seed of woman, you know, by woman and said, did God really say that? Is you don't think for a second he really meant what he said in here, do you? You can't literally mean, he, he didn't literally mean you couldn't eat of that tree. He, he didn't literally mean that he, he, he would send somebody to hell, did he? he? He didn't say that, did he really? And the second verse was, the woman said to the serpent, we can eat the fruit from all the trees of the garden. Yeah, that's what he said. But the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, knowledge of good and evil, he said, we can't eat it or touch it or we will die. And verse 4 says, but you won't die, said the serpent to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you're going to be like him. He just doesn't want you to have a good time. You're going to know good from evil. Did he really say that? No, you won't. Are you kidding me? 
So, and of course, you know what happened, and everything went downhill from there. You could literally say everything went to hell from that point forward. But we were made in the image of God, right? So we have a biologic life, one in which God breathed into us his spirit, okay? And we became a living soul, and we don't bear his physical nature, but he made us in his image. We're a triune being. We have a spirit. We have a soul, our mind and emotions. We have a body. We were created to represent God in this world. Turn to the book of John, chapter 1. Now, I have a number of scriptures on the lay of foundation. You know, I warned my class on Wednesday night that, uh, you know, you let me stay away from two weeks and, and read stuff and think about things. And, you know, I promise, though, to be done in a reasonable time. But so looking at chapter 1, John... Verse 9, talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. We heard that a moment ago. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. And then it says he was the true light who lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. So Jesus came to rescue us, to restore our true nature. God comes in the form of his only begotten son, his eternal son, to bring light and life. He that created the world, he comes as the true light to restore our relationship, right? And, and bestow his nature within us. He lights us up from inside out, okay? And, and bestow his nature. And now in Christ, God has restored my position, See, if God is our father, then what are we? His children. Put that. There you go. This is who we are. We were created in his image to be his child. My name is child of God. But that was broken with Adam. But Jesus came, and we know the story, to restore it to us. Is that right? So God sent his nature through his son to bring us back into the relationship that was broken so that we who were out of favor and at enmity with God and, and against God could be made back into, could be brought back into the family where we were from in the first place. So we could be reconciled and united to him. If you turn to the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 14, tremendous you know, probably my favorite chapter in, in, the, in the New Testament. It says that everyone that is led by the Spirit of God is the, are the sons of God. Now, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God comes into your being and regenerates the human spirit that was placed in there that was there from the beginning. So now, as we are led by that spirit, as, as he takes over our life, as we surrender to him, he says, everyone that is led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Amen. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Ricky. 
But you receive the spirit of adoption by which you can say, Daddy. Abba means daddy in Hebrew. Now, now catch this. The spirit of God that came into us is called something very unique here. It's the only place that mentions it. It's called the spirit of adoption. He adopted us back. We who were without God, we who were out of the family, we who had no relationship with God have been brought back into the family. We've been adopted. Okay? We're not slaves anymore as we were to the law or to fear and, every, and, and fear of death and everything else. And, and let's read one more verse. Uh, for the Spirit himself testifies. How do we know this is true? Because somehow deep inside of us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption testifies to our human spirit that we are indeed the sons of God. Yes. Brought into the family. And look at the next verse. And if we are children... We're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so we might also be glorified in him. Now, now catch this. The spirit of adoption brought us out of bondage and slavery, estranged from God, into the family of God. And once we become adopted into God, we have his nature back. We were created in his image. But now all the dominion, all the authority, all the things that, that we lost, we, we, we know this has been brought back to us. We, we get it back. As, as adopted children, you see, we don't just get to say, well, there's the natural born children. That's Jesus. He's the first begotten of the father. But Everything that the son has, we have. We're not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We are, in fact, joint heirs with Christ to every promise he has made. Oh, good stuff. The spirit of adoption brought us into the family, and he gives us full measure of our inheritance in Christ. Whatever is in the kingdom of God is now part of our inheritance. That's our legacy. Everything changed, you see. We don't live in fear anymore. We've been adopted. The spirit declares to our spirit, we are indeed a child of God. Put that back up there. We can say to the creator of the universe... Daddy. Now, I don't know how many daddies there are in this room, although there seems like a lot more recently. <laughs> but is there anything you wouldn't give your child? I mean, uh, dangerous stuff, obviously not. But I mean, if they come to you and say, Daddy, don't you give it to them? We could say, Daddy. Daddy, would you? Daddy, could I? And he says, Yes. See, the spirit of God, the spirit of adoption made us to be the child of God again. All, here's the other thing. All our previous life is wiped out. All the debt you had on that credit card known as sin is erased forgiven 
it's okay. Uh, don't you love that commercial on, on the radio? I don't know, maybe you haven't heard it. It says, don't let the credit cards companies trick you into thinking you actually have to pay your debt. There, you know what? There's enough idiots out there who actually believe that. You, you took out the loan, you owe it. Well, in Jesus, we took out a debt we couldn't pay and we overextended ourselves. And you know what Jesus did? I'll pay it. I did pay it. It's wiped out. Wow. We, and not only, not only is, here, here's the, not only is our debt wiped out, but my father, because I'm a child of God, owns it all. And I got a share in that wealth. No, no, you, you didn't get that. They didn't get it either. Look, everything he has is mine. The infinite riches of heaven have now become my inheritance. It's, it's not just that I'm in the family and they'll take care of me. I'm in the family, the richest thing that ever existed. And there's so much available to me, I can't possibly use it all even. Whoa. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Old things, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you know this one. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My past is gone. My, it's erased, everything. And I'm, I'm standing here today as a new creature, as a child of God. Whoa. I'm no longer a slave. I'm free. I've been redeemed. We have a new future, a new reality, a new life. The universe stands the world stands under my authority. See, I don't, I don't think we even comprehend one fraction of what God's done for us. I, I want you to turn with me, though, but here, here comes the, the, the nexus, of, the, the, the nut of what I'm going to try to say to you today. So I've laid out the truth for you. It's the word of God. But if you turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 3, And come down to verse 21 for me. Brandon, put that there. Okay. So you know the story. Jesus, John was baptizing out in the Jordan River and Jesus came to him. And Jesus also was, bap being, was baptized by John. You know, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here he comes. And, and he, Jesus says, I want to be baptized. And he says, no, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I can't even, un I'm not worthy to un untie your shoe. And Jesus said, no, I have to be baptized. Obedience. And so he was baptized, and as he was praying, and as he came up out of the water, we know what happened. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove upon him. And a voice from heaven came and spoke and said, this is my beloved son. Take delight in you. I love you. So we have a perfect example of the Trinity here as the Father, as the voice of heaven speaks, as the Holy Spirit is descending and filling Jesus to the fullness of God. 
and the son is there in the water receiving it all. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Then as we know from Matthew, Jesus is led by that spirit. Now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I like Luke. Luke says so much more about the Holy Spirit than any other book. And, and also the book of Acts. You know, if you go through the book of Acts, it says the Holy Ghost said, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Actually, the book of Acts is not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles. And so anyway, we know that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested. He's wandering around in that desert wilderness down there in the Judean desert where, I mean, there's a few scrub brush things out there and a little bit of water here and there. And, 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 and uh, he's hungry. He's been without food for 40 days. And now in chapter 4, we see the test, the t what's called the temptation of Jesus. And go to verse 4. And, and so Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and that's always a key, isn't it? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Ghost. They that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. He comes back from down in that region where he was. And he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And 40 days he's being tempted of the devil. In those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, at the end of the 40 days, he was hungry, as I said. Now, now the devil comes to him. And the test comes. And the devil says to him, if you are the son of God. Make this stone to turn into bread. Well, he's hungry. But certainly have done it if he wanted to. And Jesus says, no. It is written in the word of God that man should not live by bread, by food alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We don't live by what the world tells us. We live by what the word of God tells us. It's an important distinction. You might be hungry for a certain type of food, but if the word of God says you can't have that, that's not good for you because the father who loves you so much, who will give you anything, but he says, I'm, I'm trying to keep you from, from, from problems in your life. And if the word of God says no, then I don't. I live by the word of God. And, but Go back to verse 3 for me, Brandon. Notice what Jesus said. I mean, what, this, what the devil said. So he, he's, test, he's te being tested. Do I, make, do I satisfy my hunger in a way that would be against the principles of the kingdom of God? The, but you see what the very first thing that the devil does? He attacks the identity of Jesus. If you are the son of God. And I want to tell you something today. That lie, that deception, that, that uh, uh, undermining of our identity still continues. Are you really the son of God? Are you really the daughter of God? Did he really say? Isn't that what he just said to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? Did he really say that, that he would heal you of all his diseases? Are you really the son of God? Do you have a right to say that? You know, because so many people don't receive it and they, you're, you're misunderstanding, you're misapplying the word of God. You, you don't really understand it. See, let me tell you something. The devil is a liar. He's an accuser. 
and he's a deceiver. The thief comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and identity in him, fullness, prosperity, blessing, all of that, okay? The devil will always try to steal away our identity by sowing seeds of doubt into the word of God. I always find it remarkable that the devil actually thought he could twist the word of God on the word of God. How dumb is he? Should, should take, we should take some solace in it, some comfort in that. He is stupid. Amen. He may be a deceiver and tricker, but you know what? Greater is he that's in me. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So he'll always try to steal your identity by sowing seeds of doubt as to who you really are. Who am I? And, and, and I saw something else here too. Did you know that the word of God says that he will not put on you any more than you're able to bear? There is no test that you will encounter in your life that you are not already equipped to win. See, we come up against some tough things in life. Life is tough. Rains on the just and the unjust. Things happen. But no matter what comes your way, the, the enemy will try to trick you into the idea that you can't possibly win this time. But see, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God did not allow them to go into battle immediately because he said they weren't ready for it yet. So he took them around the problem until they were at a point where they could handle the test, the trial, the fight that was coming their way. So the devil will, tr will try to put on you and tell you that, you know, you can't possibly win in this situation, but God would not have allowed it to come your way if he hadn't already equipped you with the tools you need to win. Now we have to fight, but the fix is in, we win. If you fight the fight of faith and don't quit, okay? So the tools we need in order to win have already been given to us. Well, we know it's his word, but, but we're prepared for it. You may not realize how prepared you are, and certainly Jesus was prepared for it, okay? So he can't be defeated by a few words, but I find it, I find it amazing that, that the enemy tries to, to undermine I mean, didn't just God, didn't the word of God just come to Jesus and say, you are my beloved son? Yeah. And what's the first attack? It's not even about the, it's not really about the stones being turned to bread. It's really about who are you? Yeah. Are you really the son of God? He tries to, to sow seeds of doubt and unbelief and fear in the hearts of God's people. That's who he is. That's, that's all he can do. But, but Jesus isn't having any of it. He says, no, I, you know, I'm going to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That wins. I might be hungry now, but God will take care of me. I might be in need right now, but you know what? He's already supplied all I need. I'm going to have it. I'll be, I'll, it'll be okay. You see, that, that, that's where faith comes in. He is fully persuaded that the word of God, would you say, was alive and active powerful it's working okay so the word is alive in me jesus said it's alive in me 
He's fully persuaded. So let me also tell you something. When you see great opposition in your life, you need to understand that you are at a place where God has also given you great power to overcome the opposition. And in fact, you're at a place of breakthrough. The stronger the opposition, the greater the breakthrough coming. And when his word is acted upon in faith and dependent upon it, that word will be greater than any opposition to that word. You see, promises that God makes to us, God has written to us, spoken over us, spoken to us in the prophetic, however it may come, require us to receive them. We always know that, Ravon. we got to receive the word. But, you know, even more... Once we receive it, say, yes, I believe that's true. But you know what also has to happen? Then we have to stand upon it and believe it and not move from that place before we, until we see the result that we've been looking for. Amen. See, stand and having done all stand, there's something that's required. I receive it. Well, now I'm going to stand upon it and I'm going to believe it in spite of what I see. Amen. Because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. So... If opposition in your life comes to you in the way of physical sickness, right? And, and, and the Satan says, you're going to die. It's not good. Did God really say he's going to heal you? How can you be sure of that when so many people die? If we receive that, it will negate the promise. I'm so encouraged that Cindy Shue's mother is doing so well. Ruby's doing so good. But we prayed. Why should we, why should we be surprised? We're, and she's standing upon it, and we're standing with her. That's why we need the body of Christ to come alongside and stand with us. Sometimes we get discouraged. But you know what? Thank God for the body of Christ who's going to lift us up. Because not only am I a child of God, but you are, you are, you are, you are. Every one of you in here is a child of God. Do you know what? We're family. You attack me, you attack you. You're attacked, I'm attacked. And baby, you don't want to attack my family. What Sarah Palin say? You, you know, that mama grizzly bear, you know, so you don't, don't attack her babies. How we respond to the test, to the attack, to the opposition will determine our outcome. If I stand my ground and say, no, I'm a child of God, and he's already promised me that he's going to take care of this, then, then he can work with that. And if we respond and say, no, I guess you're right, I'm going to die. No, I guess you're right, we, we're never going to have that. No, I guess so. Yeah, we'll always be poor. <laughs> The word of God says, you know, see that train coming down the tracks at you? He derails it with his word. No weapon formed against me can succeed. That's the inheritance of what? The children of God. Part of my inheritance is I can't be defeated. I know that sounds arrogant, but it's the truth. The word of God will always derail the attack of the enemy coming at you. 
Arthur Burt once said, if some of you don't know who he is, is an old friend of ours from Wales. He died a few years ago at 102. And he always said, he said this, one of his Arthur Burt-isms is that the, the power of the lie is in its, or the power of the false, which he means lie, is in the ability to hide the truth. Now you say, well, what in the world does that mean? But see, if we, if we understand, if we take the false, if the false statement that the doctor said or the banker said or the economy says or the world says as, as the truth, it hides the real truth, which is behind that. If we blow it up and magnify the, the, the lie, the false statement, we can't see the truth because it hides it from us. But it doesn't mean that the truth isn't still there. What we have to do is sift through that stuff, push through that, say, to grab a hold of the word of God that's being hidden by the lie and say, no, this is truth, not that. Right. See? So, so it, takes, it takes some work. That's deception. When it says in the word of God that it says, if we resist the devil, he flees. How do we resist him? Just like Jesus did. It's written. I know who I am. You, you can say all you want to in your lies and accusations, but I, I know I'm a child of God, and I know what God said. Amen. And my daddy is bigger than your daddy. I know his love for me. I'm not afraid of my daddy. He loves me. He loves me. I'm his child. And you know what the word of God says? Perfect love casts out all fear. There's no reason to be afraid. In fact, put 1 John 4, 17 up there for me, would you? Herein is our love made perfect. That we can have boldness in the day of judgment. I preached on this a few years ago because as he is in this world, so am I. Now that sounds arrogant. No, I'm a child of God. Isn't that who Jesus is? Son of God? Aren't we joint heirs? Aren't we children of God? As he is in the world, aren't we? That's what we're supposed to be. And the next verse says, there is no fear in love. I'm not afraid of what you say, devil. Because perfect love, Jesus in me, casts out all fear. Fear is torment. He, he that fears is not made perfect in love. And verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. He drew us to his side. He loved us so much he wanted us. He sent his son to die for us so we could get back into the family of God. Amen. So I fight the fight of faith knowing that as long as I continue to stand upon the promise of the word of God, as long as I continue to stand in the reality of the identity of who I am, I am a child of God, I will win. No matter the size of the opponent, because opponent, I know the truth about what God says about me. Verse 14 in Romans again says, verse chapter 8 says, what? They that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. I'm led by the Spirit. So I surrender, Holy Spirit, to what you tell, tell me. Which way to go, Lord? I don't know what to do, but you know. You know. Because that's a promise. If you turn back to the book of John again, chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, Verse 12 said, as many as received Jesus, to them gave he authority, the right, the privilege, 
the honor of being a son of God. Once you accept Jesus, you've, ex you've been adopted into the family. Are you with me? If you believe on his name, his name has become your name. The family you used to be is not who I am. I'm in the family of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. I am called by his name because I believe on him. Verse 13, which were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, not by my will, but by the spirit of God. Amen. I've been born again. Huh. See, I I've been given the power, the authority that is, the right, the privilege to be a son of God. Listen, listen to me. This is who you are. Your identity is not in your career. It's not in your family. It's not in your natural parentage. The question is no longer who am I, but whose are you? I am the child of God. And if I'm Christ, if I'm in Christ, then I am son of God. Not the son, but a son of God. I'm adopted into this family, but God gives me all the rights of the natural born child. I have the full rights, full possessions of my father. I am a joint heir of everything he has. Wow. If you turn to the book of Romans, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I thought about this. It says in verse uh, 18, no, uh, uh, Romans 8, 18, yeah. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, Paul says, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is going to be revealed in us. But here's the verse I want you to see. Look at verse 19. It, it actually says in another place that all creation groans in earnest expectation or waiting for the sons of God to be manifested. The earth itself is groaning in expectation, waiting for the sons of God to be manifested. Are you a son of God? Yes. So even the earth itself, the nature, is groaning in anticipation of what will happen once the sons of God are truly revealed in this world. You have no idea what's about to happen. Groaning in, in anticipation, expectation. Wow, you, can you believe what's going to happen? The one tree said to the other tree. I don't understand it. But all I know is God's creation is waiting for us to rise up and be the sons of God that we were called to be. In this world with manifestations, supernatural manifestations of healing, signs and wonders and miracles and salvations and deliverance and healings and, and walk in the authority that we were given in the very first day. Amen. Hallelujah. Now look at verse 26. It talks about the Holy Spirit in us. We don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit himself prays because we're weak. So he knows exactly what we need, and so he prays. It actually says he makes intercession for us with groanings. So catch this. The, the earth is groaning. The Holy Spirit's groaning. <laughs> the immensity of what God has for you and wants to do through you, you don't even catch a glimpse of yet. If God's people would finally one day wake up and realize who they really were, 
man, you, you can't even imagine. What we, what we do is we exalt a few people who caught a hold of it. Smith Wigglesworth, Billy Graham, you know, Reinhard Bonnke, A.A. Allen, John G. Lake, Catherine Kuhlman. You know, we go down the, the list of the generals of faith. These are just people that got a glimpse of who they were in Christ. And they decided to take a step of faith. We, we look now, we see what Todd White's doing or, you know, maybe, you know, somebody else is doing. And we, we, we put them up on a pedestal. But can I tell you what? Every one of you were designed for the same thing. Yeah. Kenneth Copeland doesn't have anything that you don't have. Yeah. Ruffalo Dollar does, but Kenneth Copeland doesn't. If you find a better teacher, let me know than him. But, but here's the thing. The spirit is groaning. The earth is groaning. Waiting. Heaven and earth are waiting for the sons of God to be revealed in this world. In the true dimension, the true manifestation uh, that God has intended for us from the very beginning. To walk in the authority that we've been given. If... If that's so, then why are we sick? Why are you poor? Why are these bad things happening to us? But you see, the truth of the word of God is this. I am a son of God. And no matter what the life throws at me or what the enemy throws at me, I'm still a son of God and I win. 1 John 3, 2, if you put that for me. Beloved, this is it. Now we are, say I am. A son of God. Now we are this. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. When we finally come into that realization and grab a hold of that. But we know that. And we're talking about, now he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the rapture. Or, you know, but when he appears, we'll be like him for we will see him as he is. But the essence of what I'm trying to get across to us is, is you and I, for the most part, don't have any comprehension of really who we are in Christ and what God's done for us. We live so far beneath what we should have. We occasionally rise up now and then, but we don't really understand it. Let, let me read to you something real quick. We've got a couple of minutes. Chapter 1 of Ephesians has some of the most powerful words ever written. And in verse 5 says, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will. Now, when you accept Jesus Christ, your destiny has changed. It's going from hell to heaven. But he's called us and he, had, he wanted us from the beginning of time. He, he wishes none should perish so that we come adopted. So now, okay, I get it. I'm adopted. I'm in the family of God. Verse 11 says, okay, in him, in Jesus... We were also made his inheritance. We're his inheritance and predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with decision of his will. Kind of a big convoluted statement. But we're his inheritance as, as the son of God. But now in the next verse, I'm going to look at verse 18. We are also made, we are also given his inheritance. Everything that he had. And God says, Paul says, I pray that your eyes would be opened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. 
Lord Jesus, open our eyes, even as Elisha prayed for his servant, Gehazi. Lord, open his eyes. Lord, may our eyes be open today to truly grasp who we are in Christ Jesus and what you have given us and who we are. Next verse. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his dunamis, supernatural power towards us who believe according to the working of that power? Do you... See, we're no longer, we live in a human body, but we're supernatural entities. We're children of a supernatural God, and there are supernatural powers that God has given to us to operate in this world. That's why the world is groaning, waiting for us to come into full realization of who we are. This, this mighty power that he put in us, this mighty power that he gives us access to, he demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. See, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now living inside of you and me. Whoa. Far above all ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given not only in this age, but in the age to come. We are, it talks in the next chapter about us being seated in Christ, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all. The next verse, please. Okay, everything for the church, which is his body. Go to verse 23, okay? The fullness of the one who fills everything in every way. Would you grasp, please, how big God is and how much he has for you because he loves you? You see, every promise ever made by God is now yours by provision, okay? Because you believed and became adopted into the Son. So, so, so let me just kind of give you the quick list. Here's the benefits of being an heir. Well, eternal life, we'll take that. Unfortunately, so many people stop there. That's good, you know, if that's all we had, be okay. So that includes salvation, but it includes peace of mind. You don't have to be anxious anymore about what the doctor says or what the world says or the newspaper says or anything else. You're in Christ. You're a child of God. Peace in mind, peace in body. Healing is yours. Healing of spirit, mind, and body. Your, your, your mind can be set free from depression and discouragement. You don't have to have mental illness. You're at peace in your mind, peace in your body. Your body is whole. You, you, you are free. You've been set free, delivered from addiction, from oppression, whether it's drugs or sex or alcohol or whatever addiction it may be, you've been set free. All you have to do is hold on to that and say, I'm going to fight that fight and others are going to come alongside and help me fight that fight, but I'm free today. I've been given joy where I had only sadness. I've been given hope where there was none. I've been given love where I was unlovely and nobody wanted me, but God loves me. And I've been given mercy. I've been given infinite wealth and prosperity. Do you understand that? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All he has to do is sell a cow. It's yours. Okay, He'll take care of you. All your needs have been met through his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You've been given grace. That's favor. Can you imagine having the favor of your father? Need a car? Okay. Oh, all right. Supernatural dunamis power, that's ours. Authority over every work of the enemy, every lie, every trick, every test you've been equipped to beat him at. These are just some of the, some of the things that come. This is, 
you are loved, you are accepted, you are disciplined, and you are powerful. You are more than an overcomer. You're not just an overcomer. You're a super overcomer. You're not just a, a, a warrior. You're a super warrior. You're more than a conqueror. You're, you're not just ordinary. My identity, our identity is in him. We are child, children of God. Are you so? We are seated with him in the heavenly place. I don't really quite grasp all that means, and I hope to someday. But that means everything that the enemy is under my feet. We're powerful in the spirit, powerful in word. We're the undefeated. No matter how it looks, we're already won. David. Pastor Dave has been teaching a class to, you know, about raising giant killers. Every one of us is a giant killer. Amen. Jesus is our big brother, and God is our father. We are in the family of God. Amen. I'm just going to finish. Worship team, you can come up. I want to just read you a couple things. These are just some things, observations I picked out of the word last night. God says, I know you when you sit down and when you get up. He said, even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Some of us have less he has to worry about than we used to, but he says, you were made in my image. The word says, in me, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. He wrote in Jeremiah, I knew you before you were conceived. You were not a mistake. All your days are already written in his book. It's my desire to lavish my love upon you in 1 John 3, simply because I'm your, you are my child and I am your father. James says every good and perfect gift that you have came from my hand. Jeremiah 31 says, because I love you with an everlasting love. Psalm 139 says, my thoughts towards you are countless as the sands on the seashore. God thinks about what you're doing. He knows you. He watches over his word to perform it in you. Zephaniah said, I rejoice over you with singing, God says. Exodus says, you're my treasured possession. Romans 8 says, I came to show you that I am for you and not against you. And if Christ be for you, who can defeat you? He says in the same chapter, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, I want everyone, there's a pen in front of you somewhere, to take this little label and write on there, child of God. It says, hello, my name is what? Child of God. I want you to write that down. And I want you, I don't want you to put it on your lapel necessarily unless you feel really strongly about it, but tuck it in your Bible Fold it in your wallet, put it in your purse. And when you're having a tough day, I want you to pull that out and look at it. And remember what I said, who are you? Answer the question today, who you are? You're a child of God. You're an heir. <laughs> you, you have unlimited potential. Our big brother already beat up the guy coming against us.
And all we have to say is go in his name and he will flee. If I resist him, he will go. Don't take his life. When the devil says, who are you? Did God really say you're a son of God? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You declare the word over your problem. That's why we gave you the Bible reading this year, trying to get, if you, if you put the word in you, even if you read it and you think you're reading it like a novel, you know what? The spirit of God says, I'll bring everything to your remembrance at exactly the right moment when you need to have it. Healing's mine, deliverance is mine, the promises of God are mine, prosperity is mine, blessings are mine, a favor of God is mine. I, I am loved, I am more than conquerors. I, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. And he will never leave you nor forsake you because he loves you. Would you stand to your feet and let's go sing this song. Put the words up for this song, Brandon, child of God. Okay.